What's up, guys? Welcome back to the basement for another episode. Hope everybody's been doing well that's listening. I'm I'm doing great. I've uh, been catching a lot of movies this weekend. It's been between changing diapers and <laughs> wiping, you know, baby poop off my hand because my I'm not going to tell you what's going on with, uh, you know, baby poop and changing diapers to kick off this show. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that was, you know, obviously, as we know, I have a kid at home. So uh, my dynamic and my schedule has kind of shifted a little bit, but obviously it's Monday. It's time for a new episode. Here we are. I did decide to bring back something that I haven't done in a few months on the show um, that I just like to do every now and then just, you know, if I'm in the mood to kind of reach out to all you guys, the listeners, everybody who tunes into me, all 23 of you. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who still listens to the show, um, but it, you know, obviously I'm still doing the show, so somebody is listening. But I think back in, uh, I think it was, God, I don't even remember, it's like a few months ago, I just decided to throw up on Instagram, you know, I'm taking some questions to answer on the air, and I've done this a few times. I do a mailbag episode where you guys, the listeners, or at least the followers of the Instagram page, respond to the story and send me a question, and I'll answer it on the air. And some of it's, usually some of it's just about, you know, filmmaking and, you know, being creative and whatnot. Some of it's just, you know, movie geek talk and questions about, you know, what's your favorite genre or what's your what what's your favorite subgenre of I don't know. Anything like that. And I actually when I put the questionnaire out to all you guys, I got a little bit of both. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> um anyway, I just also before I get started here, I wanna maybe bring this up. If you, I'll do this episode as much as I can in between when I have guests on or big episodes where it's just me talking like last week. Uh, thank you everybody who tuned in for the Kino Cult episode about the streaming platform that was launched by Kino Lorber. Uh, that aired last week if you want to check it out, by the way. But um, what I'm getting at here is if any of you guys have any questions for me, any anybody who listens, anybody who you know, listens weekly, anyone who listens when they can, you guys just shoot Tyler Geis's basement, uh, at Tyler Geis's basement pod is our handle. It's in the show notes. Uh, just shoot it a message and maybe I might answer it in the next mailbag episode. So just keep the questions coming whenever you can, even if you don't get like a response via DM, uh, just go right ahead. And, you know, I might just put it on the list. So, you know, even if there's no post about it, just go for it and, We'll see what happens. But anyway, I got a, I got a few questions I want to go through here. And um, away we go. First up is Zach from uh, back home in western Massachusetts. Uh, I know Zach, uh, personally. He's a cool dude. Uh, I know he listens to the show. So here we go. I think it's a, he's the first time submitting a question. Is there an update on your film you've been trying to make titled Ryan Road Story? Well, Zach, uh, here's my answer. Um, I, I, back when we launched this show, one of the first like 10, 12 episodes was about the process of making this film or almost making this film. It was the film that, you know, never got made that could have maybe gotten made, but would it have been a, you know, something that I really wanted if I had made it as it was on track to be made, go back and, uh, listen to the episode if you don't understand what I'm talking about it the the title is called Once Upon a Time in Ryan Road I think is what I named the title 
Um, for anybody who doesn't know what the hell I'm fucking talking about by now, uh, Ryan Road's story is a film I wrote back in like 2015 that um, almost got made like on a very, very low, low, next to nothing shoestring, not even really a budget, just like a, a little bit of money and nobody would have gotten paid. And I think, you know, just some things happen of things coming together, things falling apart, cast and crew being scattered all over the country, communication and I just kind of had to back away because I was just not in a good state to make the film. And honestly, thank God, because it didn't seem like it would have really come together to be something a lot of the people working on it would have been proud of. Uh, That being said, it's a film I wrote about a filmmaker who returns home after uh, his brother had passed away from a drug overdose. Uh, Me and my co-writer, Chris Carantit, who, you know, has been on this show multiple times, we decided to put that element of the uh that element of um addiction in the story because you know where we're from there was a big opioid and you know heroin epidemic going on and we thought it would strike a chord and it did when we shopped it around and pitched it around but we weren't really getting the bites we wanted to um as of last year this landed with a production company up in massachusetts that gets films produced and distributed, uh, very small independent films. And, you know, they had it and, you know, they read it over and maybe they didn't like it because I never heard from them again. (laughs) Uh, So I've shopped it around. I've been talking to um, some agents, or actually I shouldn't say that in a plural way. I've been, I, there is an agent I've talked to out in Hollywood who, you know, sent it out to the powers that be and, no real bites on it yet and that's okay you know that's just how the business goes you know it's very much not this big booming uh you know film that i think a lot of people you know money people involved would be making a lot of money doing and i know i'm kind of underselling it here on the air but it's a good character piece and i think people would respond to it really well i'm not trying to pat myself on the back as a writer i'm not a perfect writer at all um but where i'm getting at here is it it's floating around the, the the script has been sent out to people that potentially could try to get it, you know, made or get me to go make it is what I'm trying to say. Um, but, you know, nobody's really said anything. And, I, you know, it, it could be that film that, you know, I wrote that never got made. It could, who knows, it could still get a life. I mean, this, I feel like that's just the one project that a lot of people talk to me about that, you know, never comes to be. And, and maybe it needs another rewrite after seven years and you know i've toyed around with that a little bit some of it was i think i put it in like a very post-covid kind of world and i remember it was a good idea at the time and then i think i sat down with my cinematographer to break it down and i realized i don't know if that was really a good idea so i went back to a, a draft before that one but ryan road stories out and about um scripts obviously protected you know, so nobody steals my idea, but then again, lots of movies like this come out. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. If I get a phone call one day saying, Hey, I'll cut you a check for about $1.5 million to go make this movie. You know, I'm ready to go at least somewhat ready to go. (laughs) Um, I will say this though, and this is, um, you know, I don't, the older I get, the more I don't like to say anything, until it's official, but I have toyed with making it like an audio drama or making it like an anthology and making multiple 
short stories that all take place in the neighborhood called Ryan Road. I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, you know, just if I can't get the feature film of it made, maybe I can still do something with it. So time will tell. And, you know, I hope something comes of it because uh, I'm bored. <laughs> no, I am. I'm working on other things. But, um, you know, that, that's, that always was a special project. And I think everybody who worked on it, whether they're still involved with it or not, you know, definitely was passionate about it. So, and, you know, for that alone, I'm forever grateful. Next up, Andrew writes, what's your favorite 1980s teen villain? And it can't be Zabka. Zabka, I'm assuming uh, who you're referring to is William Zabka in uh, Karate Kid, a.k.a. the character, obviously. William Zabka, obviously, is the... (laughs) Uh, actor, obviously, you know, Cobra Kai is a, you know, big Netflix sensation and he does great on that show, uh, playing the role of Johnny Lawrence, the villain from the Karate Kid movies. Um, I don't know why you're excluding him, but, um, he, cause he's a really good villain. Uh, and honestly, like when, when you sent me this question, Andrew, I remember like having like three or four villains, like lined up, like Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Um, I don't know, a few other ones. But then I realized in the question you specifically say 80s teen movie. So I had to narrow this some bitch down. I mean, it goes without saying Biff Tannen in Back to the Future, played by Thomas F. Wilson, is uh, an honorable mention. But I, I can't even remember the last time I've seen uh, Back to the Future. I know it's, you know, everybody loves Back to the Future, and I love it too. But it has been a long time since I've seen that. So I was doing a little research on some 80s teen movies and you know ones that stand out for me and I landed on this one James Spader notoriously for me plays great villains he just has a he just seems like such a snob or he can just I'm sure James Spader's a nice guy at least I hope he is but he just knows how to tap into just utter assholes that think they're better than you and, you know, you know he, he occasionally plays a good guy. But I, I remember always thinking in the uh, second Avengers movie, having him do the voice acting for Ultron, the villain, it, just a genius casting call. So I'm going to go with James Spader in Pretty in Pink as, playing Steph. And I just think he's such a snobby, just mean-spirited, mean-hearted guy who doesn't care about anybody in... You know, I think he's awful in that movie. And I think he's just such a dirtbag in a very sleazy, upper-class kind of way. Um, It was really hard not to pick the uh, villain in The Karate Kid. But um, I think if you exclude that, I think James Spader is the best villain in 80s teens movies. I, I think he's just... You know, he dresses nice and pretty and pink. He's a rich, he's a rich kid. And, you know, rich kids have that stereotype of being, you know, snobby, stuck up, you know, pieces of shit. And not all rich kids are like that, but some are kind of, I don't know. That's been my experience. And James Spader played that to a T. I know what you're thinking. You can't believe I like a movie like Pretty in Pink, but you know what? I fucking do. I think Molly Ringwald movies are pretty fucking kick-ass. So that's my pick for that one. Um, but I was actually, Andrew, to kind of branch off your question, how you wouldn't let me go with Billy Zabka. I, I was looking at an article on like Entertainment Weekly of like best 80s teen movie villains. 
And on that list is anyone played by Billy Zabka. Uh, his most villainous role is obviously Johnny Lawrence in The Karate Kid. Uh, Back to School, he plays Chaz. I haven't seen Back to School in a long time, but uh, Just One of the Guys, which is a maybe an 80s teen movie that, you know, is a typical, you might not be able to get away with some of that stuff these days kind of movie. But he, I forgot he's in that as the bad, the bad guy, the punk, you know, shithead 80s teen villain. And yeah, he really is kind of iconic of that era. Next up, Sherry writes to me, what are you currently reading right now? Pretty generic question, and I mean that very, in a very nice way, by the way. I maybe shouldn't have said that. But, um, no, because, like, you know, obviously I think I post about it online of books I'm reading and whatnot. And in the future, I'm trying to obviously branch this podcast out and maybe talk about books I'm reading and whatnot and graphic novels and stuff because I'm a big comic book reader. I don't really feel like I fit the mold of a comic book nerd, um, but I, I read comics all the time. I read graphic novels all the time, I'm, but I have a stack of books that I'm plowing through and trying to avoid the bookstore right now because I, I just I can't buy another book because I have like six books I have to get through. I read a ton of fiction, but I also read a lot of biography on filmmakers and you know Hollywood stories and whatnot. I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for those. And right now I'm currently reading a book I bought almost a little over a year ago in Austin, Texas on, uh, is it, what's the main, is it Congress Street or something? I don't know. Any of my Austin, Texas filmmakers know the area? Any of my, any of my Austin, Texas listeners? And there's a few of you out there that, uh, know what I'm talking about. But there's a bookstore there and, um... I just found this one day, and there's a film to go along with it. It's by Josh Karp. It's Orson Welles' last movie, The Making of the Other Side of the Wind. Now, as some of you know, I think like three or four years ago, Netflix acquired the rights to get Orson Welles' like unfinished or close to being finished, or it just wasn't fully edited yet. Everything was shot. Uh, his last film that he was working on before he died that like went into like a, a safe, like, you know, nobody knew what happened to it. It almost became like a legend. And uh, Netflix, I guess, bought the rights, got everything put together, and it is streaming right now. You can go watch his final film, The Other Side of the Wind, that he was, you know, making during the 1970s, I believe, early 70s and whatnot. Uh, and I know it's on there, and I've yet to watch it. I've almost clicked play a couple times. There's a documentary that goes along with the movie. I've, I've watched that, and I was going to, like, I think one day do a double feature, watch the documentary, and then watch The Other Side of the Wind, but I didn't. <laughs> and, but then I found this book, and so I, I finally have gotten around to reading the book after it's been collecting dust in my office. So I started reading it, and I'm about halfway through right now. I'm reading it in, you know, little spurts here and there. It's kind of how reading's gone, you know, now that I'm a parent. But um, it's so it's so fucking good. It's so interesting. It's it's about a... It takes place in an era of Hollywood that I admire, that kind of late 60s into the early 70s when studios were giving filmmakers, like, a, a, a chance to really kind of go do whatever the hell they want. Like, out of this era, you got your Spielbergs, your Scorseses, your... Um, you know, George Lucas, Coppola's, the film brat crowd, you know, De Palma's, you know, all, all that, that whole crew. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich really kind of came up during this time. He just passed away, obviously, a few months ago. 
uh, and Peter Bogdanovich was very close with Orson Welles, who worked on this film and I think is in it in parts also. Um, yeah, so this movie kind of takes place around then, and you really kind of learn about Orson Welles' exile from Hollywood and just how eccentric he was, but how he returned basically to Hollywood at a perfect time to kind of make an art house passion project the only way or Orson Welles knows how to. Um, you know, Orson Welles obviously, you know, making what's hailed as one of the best films of all time back in, I forget the exact year, but in the 1940s, Citizen Kane. People obviously throw that idea up for debate that it's the best movie ever made. I don't think it's the best movie ever made, personally, just to, you know, say my two cents. But I do believe as a filmmaker, you can watch that movie and pull so much from that film. I think in the 1940s, so many films looked the same. And there's something about Citizen Kane where you can tell Orson Welles is just doing something different. And as an independent filmmaker, I think that's a that's a good thing to pull from. So, but anyway, I'm reading this book. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Track it down if you're a film fan, if you're a fan of Hollywood, if you're an Orson Welles fan. It's a beautiful yet kind of heartbreaking, yet heartbreaking kind of story about an artist just trying to get his message out there. Great artist, by the way. Orson Welles is, I think, one of the best filmmakers of all time. Very eccentric. Um, from the documentary I watched a few years back, I, there's just a real kind of tough thing to see as a filmmaker, especially someone at his caliber. You know, filmmakers are always out there looking for money. He's, you know, Please just give us money so we can make our little movie. And here's Orson Welles getting like this Lifetime Achievement Award. And this is in the documentary. He's getting this like Lifetime Achievement Award. And he basically accepts the award, but gets up there and shows a little preview of something he's working on in hopes that all these Hollywood elites out in the audience will go, hmm, I want to help him get that finished. I want to help him put the final touch on the movie. And nobody gave him a penny. Nobody gave him a cent. And like, it was just so sad to see and also so relatable because I fucking been there too. I've got up on stage and basically pleaded for people to give me money and you know, they never did. And you know, that's just how it goes too. I'm not holding a grudge against anybody, but it's, it's so far as a really beautiful story. So I highly recommend that it's Orson Welles's last movie, the making of the other side of the wind. Matt has sent me the next question. Matt, your question is, what is a good gateway director in foreign cinema if you're trying to watch films from overseas? Um, that's an easy one for me. Uh, I'm going to go with Kurosawa. Akira Kurosawa is... Uh, I don't know what more I can, I can say about it. You can go back to listening to me and Carrie Vishwanathan on our episodes on this podcast, just kind of nerding out a little bit, even though we haven't done a full-on Kurosawa episode yet uh you know i'm a big fan of his and his films are so epic and just so big in stature anything from seven samurai to hidden hidden fortress you know george lucas basically crafted star wars after watching kurosawa films you know scorsese pulls some of the, that again back to that whole film brat crowd um they all kind of worshiped the guy and loved his style of filmmaking and I can kind of see why. 
Um, this is kind of easy question to answer, but I would say start with the films of Akira Kurosawa. Maybe branch out into like something like Fellini. Also, you know, Eight and a Half is pretty iconic. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I go back to like the the you know French New Wave cinema. Also, I can no filmmakers are kind of coming to mind, but. Yeah, I, I would always kind of start with Akira Kurosawa. He's, you know, such a well-known name, such an iconic name in cinema. I would say just start with the big names and kind of work your way, not down the ladder, but, you know, work your way, and that'll that'll maybe work your way into other things. Um, yeah, thank you for the easy question. <laughs> David writes to me for the next question, and this is such an out-of-left-field question. Nobody would expect me to answer something like this, but fuck it. Let's make this a fun little episode of Mailbag. Tyler, what is your favorite movie with Beyonce? <laughs> let me just let me just start by saying Beyonce's a hell of an entertainer. Uh she's look, if you want to say I'm in the I know I wouldn't say I'm in the the beehive as the internet likes to call it, but she's a fucking hell of an entertainer. Like she knows what she's doing. Like much respect to her. Like, you know, when she decided to kind of create her own new image and separate herself from that early two thousands Beyonce, we all know, I can't believe I'm okay. Let's be real. I'm kind of a Beyonce fan. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> she's a hell of a talent and you know, I, I get it. I get it. I get why people love her. She's awesome. If, if my wife came in here right now and was just like, Hey, I got tickets to, you know, Beyonce playing such and such. I'll be like, fuck it. Let's go. I'm going to go have a good time at a Beyonce show. But anyway, Beyonce has been in a few movies. Um, some of them I haven't seen. Some of them I have, you know, obviously I go back to something like, you know, Austin Powers and gold member, which was kind of like a big thing for her back in the early two thousands. Um, does anybody remember? Is it like, uh, I think an MTV original movie called, uh, Carmen, a hip opera, and she was in it, and I, I think like Mackay Pfeiffer was <laughs> was in it. Yo, I fucking watched that shit. <laughs> it was really, it was really good. She's really talented. Um, <laughs> I just think it's so funny. Someone asked me what my favorite Beyonce movie is, but I'm gonna give it to you right now. Here's my favorite Beyonce film of all time, and it is not Dreamgirls. It is 2009's Obsessed. Starring Idris Elba and um, I think her name, that's her name from Final Destination 2, Allie, Allie Lautner, I think is how you pronounce it. And I remember like this, this movie was, previews were hitting like when I was like 20, 21 years old. And like, it just shows you right in the trailer, like Beyonce is going to kick some ass. And it's pretty much a movie about Idris Elba is, it's kind of like a fatal attraction kind of thing but uh Idris Alba I, I, I from what I remember I, I think he's you know has is being stalked by Ali Lautner's um character who's just like obsessed with her hence the title obs- obsessed with him hence the title obsessed and he uh doesn't necessarily cheat on her but um, she crosses a line with him and starts to invade his private life. And he just so happens to be married to Beyonce. And in the preview, and this has got to be the thing that pulled in ticket sales, they pretty much show you Beyonce's going toe-to-toe with this bitch. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's a fucking, it's cool. It's fuck, it's Beyonce kicking ass in the third act of the movie. And, um, you know, it's not the most well-acted, well-put-together film 
And I'm not saying I'm getting my shits and giggles seeing, you know, Beyonce get in a fight, but it's fucking cool. It, it's like it, it. any of her fans are probably thoroughly going to enjoy something like that. Um, I don't know where you can stream the movie now, but I had a lot of fun. I had a fun time watching the fucking movie. It was it was really cool. Has an awesome cast. Uh, not the best movie in the world, but perfect to turn your brain off and watch like a a romantic thriller or something about you know a, a crazy white girl in the office getting beat up by Beyonce. <laughs> Thank you for the question. I'm so happy I finally got to address on the basement what my favorite Beyonce movie is. Okay, last and final question um, on the topic of maybe fun, bad movies. Uh, I got a message from past guest Jason Coombs saying, what is your top three bad movies? And he put bad in quotes. So I'm, I, I forgot to message you, Jason. So if I answer, message you back, I mean, um, so if I get this question kind of wrong, forgive me. Because uh, like, you know me, like it, Jason talking to you and the audience, you know me. I like my bad movies. I like my schlock. I like my grindhouse films. I like my turn your brain off for two hours bad action films. I like my Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Not all of them are bad. Like he's done some really good films and worked with some good filmmakers, but he's also done some bad movies. God, I would love to get Van Damme on this show. Um, I don't know what constitutes a bad movie. It's hard for me to answer because like, you know, there's, there's movies to me, a bad movie is honestly, if you leave the theater and you get in your car and you don't even talk about the movie. Or I should, maybe I know a lot of, not a lot of people can, you know, go to the theater. But if the credits roll on something you're streaming and you just kind of go, eh, on to the next thing, that to me constitu- constitutes a bad film. Um, if a movie was kind of obviously surface level bad, like bad special effects, it, there's just something that is maybe not doesn't I don't know like again I just I don't know what a bad film is so this is what I'm gonna say closest to a bad movie since I have to pick my three favorite ones I'm gonna go with three bad films that are known like there there were big releases that nobody you know that I enjoy that the general public does not really enjoy um so here's number one this was a major release, and hopefully in a couple weeks, I might have an episode where we're talking about it again. So I don't want to say too much. Uh, I go back to this movie anytime I find it. it. I think it's streaming right now on a few platforms, Netflix and maybe Tubi and whatnot, but I watched it on Tubi one night. Uh, 2001's um, action sci-fi movie starring Jet Li titled the one (laughs) uh so this is a movie about a criminal traveling from like different dimension different universe one after another and eliminating that universe's version of him and this this criminal this serial killer whatever is played by jet lee and he finally gets to this one universe and he meets his match where he fights another jet lee so it's jet lee versus jet lee and <laughs> Jet Li by then had been like an international superstar for a few years. And this this movie just oozes early 2000s. Um, 
you know, amped up, like, over-the-top, like, action and martial arts and, you know, music by, like, Disturbed and Papa, Papa Roach and whatnot. It, it's just, it, but it's bad. I think it's, like, 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. But I remember this movie being on, like, around the fucking clock one week when I was home with the flu. And it was on, like, the Stars channel. I think I watched it four times. I was just so sick I couldn't change the channel, so I would just lay there and watch this fucking movie. And it just kind of stuck with me. And I think sometimes, despite whether a movie's good or bad, if you just experience it enough times, like, it's just in you. And I saw it was streaming one night, and so I popped it on, and Jet Li, the one, you know, there's nothing really great about it, and that's the thing. I feel like a lot of people probably left the theaters and were like, eh. So um, there's my first one. Uh, My second one is... Another movie that I talked about maybe a couple of months ago on a What You Watchin' with Chris Carantit. This is Deuces Wild from 2002. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, th- <laughs> this is just a very forgettable, kind of over-the-top, cliche, like, tough guys in the neighborhood in the 1950s, Brooklyn, you know, at war with one another. You know, it was like, I think... One gang is called Dude the Deuces. The other one's... I'm doing their accent right now. Um, I think it's the Deuces and the other one's like the... It doesn't even really matter. But it's just such a fun, really bad, big, you know, Hollywood movie that's got a great cast. Steven Dorff, um, Norman Reedus is in it. Uh, Feruza Balk's in that there. Uh, Johnny Knoxville is in there. I don't think he has a line in the movie. And by then, Jackass had been out for a couple years. So maybe like Johnny Knoxville is just... Eh, fuck it, we'll give a roll to Johnny Knoxville. Um, yeah, there's just so many, like, it's got a, um, Matt Dillon's in it also. It's a, it's got a pretty great cast, but it is just, it's it's so amazingly bad. Frankie Muniz also in there. Um, it, this was in the middle of uh, Malcolm in the Middle fame. So he showed us, he shows up in there as kind of the little kid in the neighborhood who's, you know, spreading the the news to the deuces what the other gang's up to you know yeah it's it's really bad but there's just something about it i am thoroughly uh i i'm just drawn to (laughs) um so yeah there's that and then the my final one and look again i gotta mention like i could do a bad movie episode and i probably should maybe i should jason maybe you should come back on and uh, a lot of them are from the early 2000s, by the way. Um, but anyway, I, I just, I love kind of bad movies, I guess, from my teenage years. But let me go with my final one. These are not in any way maybe my top three. I really have to give it some thought. But I'm going with maybe something that would be close to my top three. So my final one, though. A little action film from 1997 that is a sequel to one of the best video game adaptations of all time, if you ask me. Uh, this is Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Uh, 4% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, very low budget special effects. Um, boring fight scenes. There's just no plot to this movie. Uh, and the, the plot, by the way, to this thing... Might as well just say it. It's every generation a portal opens up between the outer world and Earth. And uh, Emperor Shao Kahn, who's played by Brian Thompson, who's a really cool character actor. I see show up in a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, he's the ruler of the mythical outer world who um, is there to, like, take over and whatnot. And 
pretty much all the survivors of the first Mortal Kombat movie are there to, you know, square off and fight him and, you know, not really like a tournament or anything like it is in the first one, but uh, <laughs> it, that's what it turns into. And it's kind of funny because like it picks up the, the first Mortal Kombat ends hinting at what happens in the beginning of the second one. And then we finally get to the second one. And like some of the some of the actors from the first one didn't come back <laughs> to be in the second one. I think the guy who plays Johnny Cage is different, but he's killed off in like the first two minutes of the movie. And the girl who plays Sonya. Uh, is killed off pretty you know she's not killed off sorry it, the girl who plays sonia's a different actress um it, it's just it's pretty bad but again it's one of those movies when i when i see it pop up on a, a streaming platform or if i i think i have it on blu-ray actually that's just how much i fucking love it and i know it's awful it's so bad but uh just give me those 90s bad movies too like give me the bad movies of my childhood that maybe when i was a kid i thought was pretty good I think Mortal Kombat Annihilation hits all those beats. So there's my top three for now on bad movies, bad in quotes. I didn't say The Room by Tommy Wiseau. I know that's iconically bad, but there's something that dra- that there's something that brings people back to that over and over again. So it goes without saying. Obviously, people love The Room. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up The Room. How do people not know about that movie by now? Um, so, um, anyway, thank you all for the questions. Thank you all for, I obviously, like I said, at the beginning of the show, keep the questions coming if you would like. Um, yeah, if you have a question anytime, I'll just add it into the list and hopefully, you know, next time I do a mailbag episode, I will continue to cycle your questions through. With all that being said, thank you for tuning in to the basement and we will see you next. Oh yeah. By the way, my usual routine, leave a rating, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Podbean, and uh, don't forget to leave a rating and review so people can find this show. I sound like this is my first time doing this. I feel like I haven't said this in a while. Take care. See you next week.